Okay, where to start? Well, let me read the verse. Here we go. Likewise, oh sorry, put the, in the NIV that you've got. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayer. So where we're going to start, the place we're going to start is time machine. Imagine that you're the only one here and a time machine appears out in the garden out there and there's a little note on it saying you've got one shot with your time machine, can't go forward, can only go back, you've got one shot to go one place to fix one thing in either your history or in history, you can intervene in just one instance to reverse the course of what has happened to make it new. Where would you go? What one thing? What one time, what place would you go? Garden of Eden. I've got I'm so thankful that it was a fella who said that. Because I was expecting the fellas to say, well, the substitution point in the 1970 World Cup when we were 2-0 up. And they took off Bobby Charlton and we ended up losing 3-2 in the semi. And we would have won the World Cup two in a row had that substitution not been made. Don't let that substitution happen. Okay? Marion doesn't even get that, do you? No? Don't even know what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, maybe some of you would have thought of something uh, less significant. Uh, you say the assassination of Hitler, I'd have gone back and wiped him out early. Or I'd have dealt with, I don't know, Norman the Conqueror when he came over in 1066 or dealt with that one. No, see, you got it right. The Bible is clear that one place where all things went wrong and where we've been battling with the consequences ever since, is in the garden not long after the first marriage. Now, can you remember what happened? God made Adam and Eve, and together, man and woman were to image him. Adam was to be the leader of the family. Eve was to be the helper. Everything was good except one thing. It was not good for what? Man to be alone. And so when Eve is called a helper, you realise that same word is often described, uh, used to describe how God acts towards his people. It is a high and a lofty office. It is not subor- in, uh, subordinate or inferior. Uh, they were to, to, to be together, grow together in a complementary fashion to show forth who God is and enjoy him. He brought them together in that. One man, one woman in covenant for a lifetime and everything was great until somebody else showed up. Can I ask you to listen to this, because this is really important, particularly for the ladies, okay? There was another voice and another influence other than that of God. And Eve listened to that influence other than the voice of God. The voice of Satan came in. Can I just warn you, all disaster happens when the most influential voice in your life is not that of God. Whether it is the media, whether it is the culture, whether it is a well-meaning friend, whether it is an enemy who will talk to you about what is valuable, precious and important, if it is not sat under the authority of of God as the voice we were made to live by, stuff gets broken, you feel pain. So disaster ensued as Eve, uh, well Satan knew what he was doing, Satan engaged Eve, not Adam, and she buys in, and it was all very well intended on the part of Eve, but disaster happened, uh, of course, they sin enters the world, they get fractured, and suddenly they're hiding away. 
But the thing that I want you to spot through this is where was Adam when all that was going on? Where was the one who had been put in charge and responsible? Where was he? He might have been watching the football. But actually it tells us no. He was right there the whole time. He was standing there as all of that happens. Where was the husband in that moment? Right there doing squat. The, the voice of the Lord comes to him, doesn't he? And the voice of the Lord says, Man, where are you? Great question. Great question. He was doing nothing. Is that love? Is that honour? Is that respect? Is that care? Answer, no. Listen, fellas, I realise it can be very confusing sometimes. Sometimes we think that sins are merely things that we commit, as in a sin of commission, i.e. I hold up a bank, or I tell a lie, or I download pornography. Sins are something I do. Sin in the Bible, there are sins of commission, that's that one, but there are sins of omission. Stuff where you just stand by and let stuff happen that you shouldn't. And this is what we're up against every day. Uh, This is what Adam was up against every day. Man, where are you? And no question comes back. That is the big temptation for fellas. And what we'll do is we'll blame other people for this, or we'll pass the buck, or we'll make excuses. So the Lord comes and says, Man, where are you? Can anybody remember what Adam said? Sorry? The woman that you created has done this, 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 and this. There are only three of them in this marriage. The woman, the man, and God. And who does the man blame? The other two. He blames the woman that God made. And that helped me understand there how serious and how difficult this preaching this sermon is going to be. Can I let you into a little bit of a secret? This week I spent the whole time telling, uh, preparing this sermon, however many hours I've done it, thinking about all the things I've got to tell other husbands to do properly. I was just blind to the fact, my wife isn't, but I was blind to the fact that I might not actually be everything that I could be as a husband. Can I tell you, fellas, some of you, as you sit there, you'll be wanting to bat this stuff away and think, yeah, I agree, Kosh should really listen to this. John, get your notepad out, lad. We really are broken, aren't we? I wish I'd got it nailed. I think I've got it nailed. It's I've not. And a, a pattern was established way back there in the garden where men, well, they become either negligent or nasty. They become either chauvinist and use sort of uh, man-woman relationships to, to build a power base, or they become cowards. Uh, they are either abusers or abdicators. And that's been the, the battle of the sexes ever since, hasn't it? Uh, and I was trying to think about what the split is. I, I, I suspect, I think this is biblically right if you run through the characters in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I'd say probably one out of four of them tend towards being really abusive. And three out of four of them tend towards being just lazy. Uh, it could be in different domains of your life. It could be a fellow who is very cowardly in one domain, but really strong, firm, doing a power play in another. We're complicated, aren't we? It's not as simple and straightforward as that. What's the result of all that? Well, we call it feminism. 
feminism is a reaction against men not being who God called them to be. Godly, gracious, loving servant leaders, where men are even um, negligent, won't get the job done, won't step up, let wrong stuff happen, or are the causes and co- causers and causes of wrong. Can I tell you that, 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 uh, that feminism on that regard is great? It's good to have a reaction about men not being godly. But could I suggest that the reaction, they've taken it the wrong way, because the answer of feminism is to say, flatten all the differences, we're all the same. When blatantly we're not. We are very different. No, the answer, the real answer, is to do it the gospel way, which is in the power of Jesus Christ to get men and women to be who God called and made us to be. That's the problem, isn't it? We can't do it on our own. We need an act of salvation. We need God to step in. We need God to help us do this. I am trapped in my ignorance and my selfishness. And that's why 1 Peter has been so helpful to to us, hasn't it, over the last few weeks. We've been told of the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam. We've been told that he comes with uh, an agenda to save, to redeem from empty things, to call us to be his people, to shine for him. Let's just test, okay? Uh, If you're a regular at the church, you can bless and encourage those who are a visitor. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 8. You are a chosen people, a a royal priesthood, and a people belonging to God. That was Jesus' doing. And he's done it that you may tell out and show forth the praises of him to the nation. So everybody goes, yes, it is what it works, God's way, God is glorious. When, when you get under the Lord Jesus, when you, when you belong to him and sit under him, life begins to be put back together as it should be. And when will this be seen the most? It will be seen in the places where we do relationship. Last week we saw uh, six verses for the ladies. Okay? Even in what was an unjust situation and a position of disadvantage, there is a desire, once you've met with Jesus, to want to try to win people for him. So the call went out, wives, will you willingly, joyfully, get behind even the most wonky of husbands so that you can influence them and see them gained and won for Jesus? Will you take a subordinate role, a submissive role, to see them respected, You don't obey them when they're abusive. When when what they do is contradictory to God, you stick with the Lord. But if you can, you get behind them and reverence them. But now we come to the men, don't we? I think this is dead interesting, isn't it? The women get six verses, the men get one. I'm trying to figure out why that was. Could it be that it's a reflection of the intellectual capacity of men versus women? Uh, Women can deal with six verses, men can deal with one. Uh, Is it simply that the way we're wired is that Women like to pull stuff around a, a little bit, take it apart, look at it a little bit more in depth. The fellas, they just want one line, bottom line. Maybe it's that. Or probably more likely, it's to do with the way that this whole bit of the book has been put together. In that, whether it was submission to authority, submission to um, uh, unjust bosses, submission in a home where you haven't got the position of power, all of those are, you show your godliness by getting under the God-appointed leadership. But here, Peter can't help himself. He chucks in a verse to say, oh, by the way, if you're a Christian husband, you have got a position of power and authority. You'd best be using it right. So I think that's why it's chucked in here. 
Now this is hugely important for all of us in the room. Some of you are like, I'm not a man. I'm like, yep, yeah, may the Lord bless you in that. But you need to know what it looks like to relate to who God is. And God will be seen in the things that he tells us to be like. If you want to see Jesus better, you'll look deeply into these verses of the Bible. So if you're a woman, do that, and you'll get a picture of Jesus. Fellas, it's pretty obvious we're supposed to be like Jesus. And I'm hoping by the end of it that we'll be full of praise and aspiration for him. So that's a very long introduction. Let's get moving on this. Uh, I've got three points for you, all in verse 6, because it's that, it's, it's, it's that simple. So I wonder whether somebody... Is, who's got an ESV? Who's got an ESV? Anthony, really loudly, could you read verse... Sorry, not verse 6, verse 7. Could you read verse 7 for us loudly? Because it's slightly different than the NIV and it's helpful. Just verse 7. Okay, brilliant. Okay, if you're uh, to be a Christian husband, point number one, very simple, first five words in the NIV, take responsibility as the Lord does for you. Hold on, that's not what it says. What does it say, first five words of the NIV? Verse seven. First five words. That's it. Husbands, in the same way, be. Husbands, in the same way. Okay? What's it talking about? It's harking back to the end of chapter 2. So chapter 2, verses 23 through to 25. Hold on. Let me pull it up. Okay? You can see there, chapter 2, verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, who's that? It's Jesus. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have been, have, uh, it should be have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So what is the point here? Well, I'm going to get to it. Here we go. For wives, the implication of who Jesus is and what he did was to bear up in a powerless situation that is appropriate to who God made you for his honour and for the sake of a higher agenda of seeing people run to Jesus. His honour. Now Peter says, okay, let's go back to the cross. If that's what the cross means for a, uh, for a woman in, in a position where she's, uh, she's not got the power, she's possibly being not treated as well as she should have been, what is she to do? She's to bear up under unjust suffering like the Lord Jesus did for a higher and greater goal. What are husbands to do? Well, husbands are to do what Jesus does in the appropriate way um, that God has made them to do. Be unlike Adam. Be like Jesus. Jesus took responsibility. Jesus took responsibility. The perfect man is Jesus. We take our cues for masculinity from him. He wasn't a coward or a chauvinist. He wasn't an abuser or an abdicator. He took responsibility and he got it done. And Jesus did this at the cross. He substituted himself and died in my place for my sins. My sins aren't Jesus' fault. Did he have to take responsibility for them? No. 
But Jesus made them his responsibility. He stepped up and took action. Now being a man, being a Christian husband, isn't being the sports guy, or the arty guy, or the cooking guy, or the movie guy, or the Xbox guy, or the practical builder, a dry stone wall guy. That's just, some of us are just wired that way. Whatever kind of guy you are, it will involve you taking responsibility like Jesus. He takes it up and he leads. He's the guy who mans up. That's what it means to man up. Man up is to not pass the buck. It's to be like Jesus and take responsibility. It doesn't necessarily take over, but to lead and to love your wife and your family as a servant like Jesus did. We read with the, the, the student team yesterday, we read Mark chapter uh, uh, 10 verse 42 to 45 and it tells us there that the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over people so their idea of when you're given authority is you're supposed to use it to keep other people down and build, uh, build up your own interests use your time, your energy, your way to get what you can but that's not what Jesus does now the son of man did not come to be served but to serve that's what it means to be a godly Christian guy now you're going to act towards your wife not because she is deserving or submissive or because she's worthy but you're going to act as a servant towards your wife take responsibility because you receive that same treatment from the true and living God now that's our goal is to glorify him can you imagine what we will look like if we start doing that we'll stand out a mile the fellas will know how easy it is just to sit and listen and smirk quietly when women get demeaned or there is the belittling of women. Wouldn't it be great if us as Christian fellas say, do you know what, I'm not going to listen to that at work, I'm just going to get up and walk away and say, my wife is precious in my sight, she's been given me to the Lord, I don't like you speaking about women like that. I don't want to listen to them. Because women are my responsibility, I'm going to ensure that they're protected and looked after. We will stand out a mile. That was the first point, and it was a quick one. Second point, slightly longer. Here we go. The first one was take responsibility as the Lord does for you. The second is walk with your wife as the Lord does with you. Okay, now I need to do the technical bit. Let's read the verse again. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Look at the first um, part of the sentence. Be considerate as you live with your wives. Okay? Technical bit. Live with, that word doesn't come up very often. It's a very personal idea. It's not just live under the same roof as. It's shared life at a deep level. Best described as walking with. Which for any of you who know anything about the way the Lord walk, uh, talks about us, uh, he says that if you know me in a personal relationship, You get to walk with me as your God. Just like back in the Garden of Eden, when it it was spoken of that the Lord God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. So it's not a sort of high love by love, it's it's shared life at a deep level. The other technical bit is there where it says be considerate. Now this is a difficult word, it it doesn't mean be, when it says be considerate, it doesn't mean sort of, oh well she likes to watch neighbours and I want to watch the footy. No, it's not like that. What it it means is, live in an understanding way. That's what comes out in the ESV. Literally, it is according to knowledge. Live according to knowledge. So what is this saying to a culture 
that back then wanted women looking good and doing embroidery. For those of you who've seen any of the, um, you know, sort of uh, those horrible things that my wife tries to put upon me, costume drama things, with like, um, you know, the Brontes and Sense and Sense or something or other, and, and Emma, and, and the women just sitting there looking pretty and, and do, knitting doilies or whatever it is they do. And then they, and the fellows go off and do manly stuff like ride horses and shoot stuff. And then they sort of vaguely talk about, talk about stuff with women over dinner. Then the men retire with the smoking jackets and the brandy and the, and the, and the women do more crocheting or something like that. Uh, okay? That was the sort of cultural break and split. You were almost proud of your ignorance as to how your other half ticked. Now here we're told to walk with your wife in knowledge. To have a marriage that honours Jesus, you're going to have to put some time in, fellas. Time. Well, you put time into everything else. If you want to get good at something, you put time into learning how to do PPUPs. You, you put time into figuring out how to take that turn on that racing game on the Xbox. You put time into... And I know what some of you are thinking. You're sitting there going, how much time is it going to take? And the answer is, a lifetime. Because the Lord walks with us for a lifetime. So, this is what according to knowledge might look like. Well, first of all, it's according to knowledge with God. Be a fellow who knows God so well, knows his ways so well, knows how the Lord deals with people that it impacts onto your life. You look at your wives and, and move towards them and love them well as God moves towards you and loves you well. Not, verse, chapter 1, verse 14. Let me read that to you. As obedient children, you do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Ignorance of who God is and what his ways are and his grace and his kindness and mercy. Or chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, for it is God's will that by doing this you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. It's possible to be ignorant of the ways of God and just try and do marriage. That ain't going to work for you, work for you very well for very long. No, have the same ambition for your wife that the Lord has for you. How he wants to grow you and how you know him and what he's doing with you. you you're able to do in some uh, small part replicate towards your missus. Uh, so that's knowledge of who God is, but you need to have knowledge of your missus. Now this is the news flash for you fellas. Men and women are different. Uh, and the reason I know this is because the Bible tells me so. Because the word there for wife isn't a typical one. It's one that sort of highlights the differences of how you're wired and how you're made up. So the word for wife is it's a stranger and it emphasises that she is different to you, not inferior, because we read in just a minute that we are co-heirs together in Jesus' sight. We're totally equal, men and women. She's just a bit different. Okay? Now some of you panic and say, I don't understand women! I don't understand women either. But it's not my job to understand women. I've got to understand one woman. My wife. And if you really press me, six others. My daughters. So pray for me. I need all the help I can get. So I just want to give you fellas a few quick hints in terms of the way that women may be wired a little bit differently. And I wonder whether the women will... If, if you resonate with this, you need to say, be all Pentecostal or give me a little amen. Don't leave me alone up here, Okay. So, quick hint, gentlemen. Uh, women use words differently to how you do and to a different end. My example is this. You walk in at the end of the day, 
and you say, oh, what's wrong? What's bothering you? Nothing. Let me tell you that nothing does not mean nothing. Do I get an amen there, sisters? Sometimes it means, figure it out. Sometimes it means, mm, nothing I can put my finger on at the moment. Sometimes nothing means, or it's nothing to do with you. Sometimes nothing means, try harder and I might tell you. Sometimes nothing means, do I have to write it in the sky for you? Nothing may mean many things, but it certainly doesn't mean nothing. Do I get an amen, sisters? Sometimes ladies use words differently to us fellas. Okay, you do need to learn body language. Okay? Fine. Another quick hint as to how you might want to be understanding towards your wife is realise that she tackles problems differently to how you do. So if she tells you her woes, and what you hear is she is asking you to fix it, man up, and do something. So like Rambo, you go in, shoot first, turn up, get stuff done, so you can quickly get back to watching your telly. And in our selfishness, it's us just trying to fix it and move on, when really what she is saying is, I'm sharing with you my burdens, because I want to walk with you through it and relate to you through it. I'm not necessarily asking you to fix my problem there and then. Ladies, is that right? We've got nods, not amens, okay? Fellas, you're sitting there going, that makes no sense. And I'm a fella, and I agree with you. Just bear with them. They're different to us, okay? Thirdly, your bit of advice is, get to know her. Who is she? Um, what's her daily schedule? As she faces her daily schedule, what are her burdens and cares? What are the ways in which her heart tries to deal with things? What are her, her escapes and her addictions? How is it that she communicates in a way that's different to you? It could be that you both want to communicate the same thing, but it just works at different timings. One of you is sort of slow burn, the other one of you is just blow up very quickly and pretend that everything, nothing ever happened. Get to know how she is and move towards her on her terms. Get to know how your strengths and your weaknesses impact on her. Find out what she hopes for. In short, fellas, what makes your missus tick? How many of you fellas have heard the phrase, I've told you a thousand times! It's not like she's quiet. She's broadcasting. She's letting you know. Take notes, Matty. Take notes. Get a little post-it, slap it on the fridge. My wife, like, ding, 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 ding. Get to know her. We should be able to write term papers, essays, on the women in our lives. Why? Because all of those things, it, it's the way the Lord relates to us. He calls us into salvation with Jesus Christ, but then he begins a lifelong progress of being involved, walking with us, growing us, and changing us. It's what the Lord is doing with us. And isn't it great that when we're slow, awkward, um, difficult, high maintenance, he doesn't say, he is faithful and he works with us, he steps up and he moves circumstances and situations in order that we can walk with him. Walk with him. 
Now, can I tell you that will stick out a mile in the, in, it did stick out the mile in the first century. Like I said, back in the first century, they were after a life partner, and it's very mechanical and distant. But under God, we can see that friendship and fellowship is the thing that God is looking for us to do. And as I've said, he bears with us. He pursues us. He is faithful to us, even when we are unhinged, even when we are high maintenance, and even when we are flat out ugly. We're supposed to be Christ to our wives in that way. So that's secondly. Thirdly and finally, uh, if we've seen that we're supposed to take responsibility as the Lord does for you, if you've seen that uh, we're supposed to walk with our wives as the Lord does with us, and thirdly, we need to see we're to use our position to honour our wives as the Lord honours us. So let's uh, see what it says in this last part of the verse. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the grace gift of life. Tiggs, did you bring that item? Uh, yes, you did. Brilliant. Yeah, it's just over there. Could you pass me that? And could you please pass me a china cup from the, uh, the little china tea cup thing from there. Okay. Lovely. Thank you very much. Okay. Forget that for a second. I'll get to that in a minute. I just realised I forgot to give me an illustration of it. Okay. Good. Okay, so here we've been spoken of, it says, treat as the weaker partner, in the ESV it's more helpful, the weaker vessel. What we've been told here is, as creative beings, we are vessels, we're all weak, but we've got different degrees, we're made and wired in different ways. Okay? So, we all want to agree, I don't think it'll be difficult to prove, unless you're in Kaylee and Nathan's house, that broadly speaking, the male is stronger <laughs> than the female. Okay? And Nathan's going to do like the insanity workout and get there. But what do we mean? Everybody agrees with this. That's why we have men-women competitions at the Olympics. It's why that so many more uh, people who are victims of domestic violence are women. More likely to be poor are women than men. In war, it is the women who get treated, abused, particularly badly, raped and killed. Uh, in some sense, women are delicate, not just more delicate physically, but quite often, uh, emotionally, there's a vulnerability there. There are fears and worries that fellas would just go at that women will quite often be dominated with. I suppose you could more, more than anything just say that um, women you're supposed to handle with care. So I brought these two cups along, okay? This is tough, take it anywhere, take it up a mountain, um, bang it around, won't break, chuck it on the floor, it's absolutely laughing. Uh, that's just the way it's made, and that's just what it does. Should I do the same with that? What's going to happen? Smash. They are, in many ways, I treat this better than that, because this can take the knocks. I hold this up and I guard it, and I protect it, and I look after it. I, that's one of the reasons why I don't do the washing up. It's, I, you know, keep it safe, because in many ways I hold it up and hold it in higher esteem. So what the Lord is telling us is, men and women are different, and husbands, it is your responsibility to lift up, honour, and protect the fragile vessel that is your missus. Same value, it says there, same value, but different in makeup by the Lord. So respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. The Lord honours your missus. Should you do any less? But you do it in a different way. 
That word there, with respect in the NIV, it is the word to honour, and we'll just come to that in a moment. Can I tell you, this is an absolutely shocking little bit of the Bible. The most, in the first century, this would have shocked people the most. Because in the first century, the simple rule was, you played power games. Might is right. If you were stronger, bigger, more capable, more able, had more opportunity, you were supposed to use it for your own advantage in order to get what you wanted from life. You were supposed to bend people to your will, not bend to help them who were in a, lower, a more lowly state, a more vulnerable state than you. You were supposed to use your power and influence to manipulate people, use it to honour yourself, not others. And yet the Lord comes to us and he says, Fellas, use your opportunity, your training, your skills, your background, your finances, your strength, emotional and physical, use all of that not to push your wife down and make her do what you want her to do, but to esteem her and honour her. That word honour has this idea of um, making declaration of worth, making much of. So a little bit like Alan, he was talking yesterday about how he had this bike, he bought a motorbike, an old Ducati, and he's restored it, and so now, now it is shiny and beautiful, fit for purpose and good to look at. I'm not saying that your missus is a dilapidated old knacker. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that what Alan has done with his bike, he has taken that bike and he has brought out the beauty to show its real worth. That is what a husband is supposed to do. And he does that because that is what God does with each one of us. The Lord comes to us. He is the one with all the resources, with power, with strength, with office, with glory. And as we had from the verse that Honor brought up from two, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he is the one who had all power and authority at fingertips, and yet he made himself a servant in order that we may have what he has, glory, privilege, joy, status. He makes much of us. I suppose it's what imputed righteousness is, isn't it? Jesus not only takes away my sin, but we get his merit. He honours us. Can you believe it? The disposition of the Lord towards you today, no matter what you've been doing this week, is that he wants to honour you. Not in the way that you want to be honoured, in the way that really does honour you. He is for you and working to that end. So the angels look on and go, look what the Lord can do with them. Whoa. That's what the Lord does. So fellas, do you manipulate your wife or do you honour her? Do you move towards her to get what you want and get an angle on something? Or do you move towards her to be gracious and loving? When you move away from her, is it for her good or yours? Sometimes you move against her. And sometimes you use your strength to do that. Listen, fellas, if ever you have scared your wife, shame on you. Wives, if you are scared by your husbands, you need to let God's appointed means in. So you need to talk to one of the elders of the church, or to me, so that we can be involved in helping give accountability to your husband. A husband is never supposed to use strength in any form to control. Jesus didn't mention so do we honour or do we manipulate? Do we exert power or threaten? Is she ever scared? She shouldn't be. God has honoured you 
as a vessel. He has given you her, and he wants you to honour her in the same way. And you can see how close an issue this is to his heart because of the last bit of verse 7. So that nothing will hinder your prayer. Notice this, fellas. It's assumed that Christian men will be praying and taking the lead in that. We need to work on that at our church prayer meeting. Nathan, you're doing a cracking job um, uh, organising it. Give the fellas no peace. Because there are some fellas in the room who are quite happy when their wife says, I'd like to go to the prayer meeting. Fine, you go, look. What you need to do is encourage them, Nathan, to say, every other week we'll go. I want to be taking a lead in praying. So the assumption here is that the men will be the ones who are meeting most regularly, who are praying with their, um, uh, for their family and with their family. I aspire to be spoken of as a dad who when the kids come down on the way to the breakfast table, they see me on my knees in the morning praying for them, praying for the family, praying for the future. Fellas, let me let you into a little secret. She may get a little, find it a little bit awkward the way you do it, but when you ask to pray with your wife, says this, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, have you any idea how seriously the Lord takes this? He always has a heart to honour those who have less opportunity, who have barriers, who are in some ways uh, more vulnerable. That's always his heart. He's always moving to bless people like that. That's the path, the way he rolls, all the way through the Old Testament. If you are working against him, is he going to listen to you? So if you're being domineering and selfish and slack and cowardly in your family, if that's good and that, that, those attitudes will dominate the things that you pray for and ask for, is the Lord going to say, yeah, I'm going to give you, I've got your back in that. I've got your back in your cowardice and your chauvinism and in, in your um, abdication and your abuse. Yeah, I've got your back. No, he won't hear you. He's not going to have your back. But if you're working with him to see your wives, your missus built up and encouraged... And if you're giving yourself away in selfless service, if you've got an ambition for her and your family the same as the Lord Jesus has for you, he'll be ahead of you and he will be with you and he will be delighting to give you the desires of your heart. So there are the three things. Number one, take responsibility as the Lord took responsibility for you, fellas. Second of all, walk with your wife as the Lord does with you. And thirdly, use your position to honour your wife as the Lord does you. And to finish with, I want to, sorry if you're a sporty guy, but I've got to read some poetry. And this isn't, doesn't naturally stick with me, but I thought we'd give it a go anyway. Uh, it's an interesting poem, because it, it's a poem um, called A Wife's Question. And it talks about, and this is particularly focusing on the married men here, but it sort of takes a it takes up the theme of how are you going to treat me now I've entrusted myself to you. And of course, at the end of the day, ladies, I want to say this, if you're hoping for a fellow to complete you, you're going to be waiting a long, long time. So perhaps you're not married here this morning, perhaps you've not got a fellow there. You can gain so much from this as well because what it will do is it will point your heart to the only one true answer, the only one who can complete you. And if in the Lord's timing and providence you your husband has been called home, if you have not currently got a husband, if your husband has not been like Jesus and walked away, this 
poem will help you to think on who God is for you right here, right now, and always. So here it is. Do you know you have asked for the costliest thing ever made by the hand above? A woman's heart and a woman's life and a woman's wonderful love. Do you know you have asked for this priceless thing as a child might ask for a toy, demanding what others have died to win with the reckless dash of a boy? You have written my lesson of duty out, man like you have questioned me. Now stand at the bar of a woman's soul until I shall question thee. You require your mutton shall always be hot, your socks and your shirt be whole. I require your heart to be true as God's stars and as pure as heaven your soul. You require a cook for your mutton and beef. I require a far better thing. A seamstress you're wanting for socks and shirts. I look for a man and a king. A king for the beautiful realm called home and a man that the maker God shall look upon as he did the first and say, it is very good. I am fair and young, but the rose will fade from my soft young cheek one day. Will you love me then mid the falling leaves as you did mid the bloom of May? Is your heart an ocean so strong and deep I may launch my oar on its tide? A loving woman finds heaven or hell on the day she is made a bride. I require all things that are grand and true, all things that a man should be. If you give all this, I would stake my life to be all you demand on me. If you cannot do this, a laundress and cook you can hire with little to pay. But a woman's heart and a woman's life are not to be won that way. Jesus Christ is the husband that we all need. Jesus Christ is our example and our hope. Jesus Christ is the one who brings grace to the brokenhearted and to the people who failed all this. Jesus Christ is the one, fellas, we want to aspire to be like. And it's Jesus Christ that we're going to sing about now. Let's do that, shall we?